HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. This program was sponsored by White Oak Pastures. The Harris family has lived and farmed White Oak Pastures for 145 years. They are committed to sustainable land stewardship and humane animal stockmanship. Their mission? We take care of the land and the herd, and they take care of us. For more information about their cattle and their farm, visit whiteoakpastures.com. Okay, it's Thursday at 1 o'clock and you are tuned into the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to The Farm Report, coming to you live from the back of Roberta's in beautiful Bushwick, Brooklyn. And we are live in studio with Claire Marin of Catskill Provisions, about to launch off a series on the show where we explore some of the different happenings up in the Catskills regions of New York State. Claire, welcome to the studio. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Erin. So glad to be here. It's great to have you. So what is Catskills Provisions? Well, I started the company just uh, just over a year ago um, in the quest of uh, taking my, my hobby of nine years, beekeeping, into a business. And then I added maple syrup to it recently since I kind of fell in love with the farmer that I do it with and, and what he does and all that. And I think he may come on later on. Yeah, we're awesome. going to have Adam in the second half of the show, so it'll be great to get both sides of the sweetener world. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and we've been able to... Um, get amazing honeys um, in Delaware County and Sullivan County's closeness to the Delaware River gives us an incredible environment, you know, and the bees are really happy. Our motto is happy bees make better honey, you know, like happy people make better stuff, you know. So I'm a firm believer in that. And the reason why I started the company is to work with people I like, hopefully, that we can create good things, give back to the community and stay local, really, really bring uh, dollars besides natural gas dollars to New York State. So my, my goal is definitely to just keep a lot of the money here. Well, you're touching on one of those issues we'll, we'll probably get into later this month, the fracking up in the Catskills regions. But So Catskill Provisions is basically um, you guys produce honey and then you work with a farmer that produces maple syrup and people yep. can buy that on your website or you sell to, uh, to also to like a number of restaurants and retail shops I know here in New York City. Yep. Um, 
So I want to hear a little bit more about this background in beekeeping because it's not something I know a ton about. So I wonder if maybe you can just kind of take us through if I wanted to move up to cats, you know, to be your neighbor today and like start my own beekeeping business. What, uh, how does that work? What are the steps that one needs to go through and how do, you know, how have you made kind of the decisions you've made that impact you think the final product? Wow, that's that's a lot. It's that's a big a, question. Yeah. I know. Just you know, in in like a few minutes. Just, yeah, no, you know, absolutely, absolutely. Just yeah, <laughs> cut me off when I you know ramble, because um, it's something that I'm so passionate about. Uh, it started for me as a hobby, and and I really do believe, and I hope that you sometime really take the invitation to come up. Oh, that would be great. Put on a bee suit. You know, you put on a, a suit that you know no bee can get to you, and you could observe the bee world. It is one of the most fascinating places to be in. It's almost like scuba diving. It's like you're in another world. You really are, but you're still on this planet. So it's it's really an amazing thing, and it's the only thing that for for me personally um, helps me remain in the moment. I think of nothing else. Um, they're super organized. I think they could teach us a whole lot about community, about democracy, about efficiency. Um, so the more you know about them, you kind of want to mimic them. It's like if we could, as human beings, be more like them, we would, oh my God, we'd get so far, you know? So it's, it's a really cool thing. But I think what you have to do first is I would recommend that you read up on it a little bit. There, there is one book that I, I'm, I, that I love and it's, it's, more romantic than how-to, but mm-hmm. there is a little bit of how-to. And it's The Queen and I by Weiss, W-E-I-S-S, and um, older gentleman. He's been doing it for many, many years. And it, it helped me really sort of get into the wonder of beekeeping and, and what they're like. You know, So that romanticism, I think, if, if you get into that, you will really enjoy beekeeping. I think that's the thing with so much of food production is like there is this real balance of kind of the bigger picture like wonder and and communion and being present and balancing that with the real kind of day-to-day like what am I actually out there doing or building and what am like how do you take care of the bees so starting a hive do you um I mean I've seen like what look like uh dresser drawers basically but yeah that's a good one I hadn't heard that one but yeah (laughs) yeah in uh certain in Spanish for example like you call it the caja you know so it's really like a box you know um but it's um you know different levels or supers we call them and then there are frames inside that the bees uh build out with um with wax and then fill them with honey um they cure the honey by flapping their wings, they're they're air conditioning experts. Okay. So to get all the moisture out of the honey, and then they cap it. So you really, as a beekeeper, you should collect the honey only when it's capped. Okay. So that you know that it's 100% moisture-free, meaning that because it's it has antibiotic uh, qualities, honey does, totally. Mm-hmm. It can never go bad. If you take moisture out of it, now there's no mold, there's nothing in it. So the bee kind of makes you makes you a perfect product if you listen to the bee when it's ready, you know. But I think a lot of times people get overzealous and, you know, I, I have an order, so I got to Got to harvest it. now. Harvest now. And, and you tend to get honey that may not be as, as stable. Sure, um, because basically there's there's essentially water in it. Exactly. So and it, water will make mold and, you know, so it's not that the honey goes bad at all. And you won't really see it very much. Um, one of the things that I would recommend that everyone does is always pay attention to the word raw. You really want it to be raw because then it's not heated. Yeah, I was wondering, what does that, like, what's the alternative to raw? 
Well, it's heated honey. It's Subi honey. It's anything that is commercial. And I will tell you, I pack my own stuff. Part of what we do is everything is done by hand. I mm-hmm. don't really want machines. I want to employ people to do the work. Sure. Um, but it takes longer. You know, it's more complicated. I get it. But you know what? If you take the time to make a great product, you're going to taste it and you're going to have all the natural nutrients in it. So, so I definitely recommend that you look for raw. And the difference is that it is not heated above... 93 degrees not to 100 degrees you really never want to take honey that way you're boiling out all the good stuff okay but of course it's very easy for me to pour that into anything even through a hose to pack my jars which i can't do i do it out of buckets okay so there's a complication for the producer but definitely the consumer shouldn't even worry about that and always buy raw honey always buy the raw honey because it retains all of the kind of properties that, yeah. that make the antioxidants exciting. the amino acids the, it, it is loaded with good stuff honey is really a wonderful thing and what's the kind of life cycle um for, for for your production i mean are you harvesting year-round or is is there a difference obviously in what the bees can have access to you know in this part of the country so how does yeah. that impact your production yeah i mean um now is a little bit of my downtime you know january february december november of course this year has been so odd with uh, with the weather, I probably could have harvested a little longer than I usually do. But it's really you you uh, you plan on starting to harvest in the spring, and you keep an open mind to what the spring is, when it begins, when it you know. But it's just really, not the calendar. It <laughs> like, really it's the isn't. first day of spring, so now we go out and no matter what, harvest honey. Yeah, you kind of have to read. Also, each hive is so different. It really is different, and and I think that's part of the fascination with beekeeping is that every single thing is never the same. I mean, it's just... Uh, so that's one of the things that you have to, you know, be ready for. Um, but harvesting is spring to fall, basically. Um, usually the spring and summer is really where you're getting most of your honey. And then in the fall a little bit, if, they're, if, they're, if you have a really um, advanced hive where they still have way more than they need for the winter, they need to survive the winter. So they need a certain amount of honey left for them. Um, but sometimes, you know, you have a very active hive, great queen, uh, great conditions. So they have plenty. So you could take a little bit more. Where, um, where do you get the bees from? The bees typically, and, and what I just described now is basically because like you said, it's this part of the country, it's the Northeast. It's, you know, down in the South and Florida and all that. I mean, they're harvesting all the time. It's like fantastic. You know, the bees have no worries there. They're so relaxed and easygoing, you know, (laughs) up here they can get a little cranky, um, which doesn't mean they want to sting you. So never worry about that. Um, but, um, we get the bees typically from the Southern States, uh, Northern California, amazing bees from there, really good. They're very mellow, um, makes sense, I guess. And um, there are some parts of New Jersey, like Southern New Jersey, where you get them from. Uh, so that's typically where they come from, and they show up in a box. And of course, you know, I, I get a phone call from the Long Eddy uh, Post Office. Your bees are here. Please come and pick them up as soon as you can. And you know, you get there, and it's this buzzing box. You know, of, of it, it's really neat. Okay, so they just ship them right in the mail. Thirty thousand bees, right there, boom. Wow. <laughs> I know I've definitely like I picked up a hive starter once over in, in Greenwich, New York that rode under my 
like legs in a truck down to New York for like a rooftop farm. Yeah. And I was amazed. They just like how many bees also you can pack in such a small space. So incredible. What um, I mean, can we talk a little bit about the, the size of your operation? How many I don't know if it makes sense to talk about a number of bees or maybe volume of like production, but um, how those two and also how those two relate. You know, how can you um, you know, what are the, you know, per bee output or you yeah. know per group is there a group size that's like yeah, the I mean, common typically you say a hive you uh-huh. know so a hive typically will give you um i'm going to say between 80 and 100 pounds it could be between 60 and 100 pounds okay you know and and uh, again it has to do with the queen it has to do with the health of the hive and environmental issues and stuff and is the hive a particular size or number of bees the hive typically goes from 30,000 to 40,000 bees at its peak, it could even have up to 60. Okay. So, um, you know, again, optimal conditions, great queen that doesn't stop laying eggs. You know, like the queen starts laying eggs typically now up here in February. So if she has a good month, month and a half, they take 21 days, the incubation period. So um, in 21 days, you should you should double the size of your of your hive, you know. But it it again, it just depends on so many different things. Um, 21 days, yeah. There was something else that just slipped my mind. But I wanted to go back to how you start. So you read yeah. a book, definitely read a book, sure. and and then the next thing is, I think, is you know, getting yourself a kit. But really, do a lot of reading. And if you can, I love the web. I absolutely think it's fantastic. But if you look up anything on bees on the web, you will get five, six different, you know, there's a lot of opinion. Mm-hmm. So I think the Weiss book is really good. Go to the classics, you know, go to anything that has Cornell on it. Cornell does an incredible job at, at um, exploring and analyzing anything to do with the life of bees. So just make sure that it's not, you know, some wacky person's blog, you know what I <laughs> Joe's mean? Joe's beekeeper is, from like... <laughs> I mean, we all have wherever. opinions, but yeah. it's something that, you know what I mean, if you do it right. And also, I, w- I would recommend that you join a group, a beekeeping uh, group, which they exist everywhere um, in the country, really. So find yourself some other beekeepers. You want to definitely read a book, talk to beekeepers, get yourself sort of like a mentor, if you can, or a couple of them. And then say, okay, you know what? I'm going to invest because really your investment initially is not huge. It's about seven to eight hundred dollars, but then you're going to get a, some honey too, right? You know, so so it's it's sort of neat, and you make that investment really once, um, and hopefully, if you don't have disease and all that stuff, you get to keep it for years. So so it's pretty cool. Are there any legal issues that people need to be aware of? Like, is can you? I mean, I know. There was a lot um, in New York City a few years ago about being able to have hives on rooftops here, and that's now, you know, legal. Although I think there are some stipulations, but just more generally, did you have to kind of go through any process? Are you, you obviously you're inspected because you're selling the stuff, but if you weren't, like, would that you know change? You know, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's it's a really important point. Um, New York State, unfortunately, because of budget cuts, has cut inspectors. So there are very few inspectors for the amount of beehives. And in the last maybe 10 years, um, beekeeping has gone up so much and become, you know, everybody talks about it. Everybody knows honey. Every, you know, it's just, it's just much more top of mind. So a lot more people are venturing into it. Um, and, you know, again, I think in, in the country, there aren't really any legalities. 
you really could just set up a hive anywhere you want. So belonging to a group is super important and talking to local beekeepers super important because they know the land. I mean, I learned so much before I did it from these guys who are like typically they've been doing it for 25, 30 years. Right. And they still tell you that every time they open a hive, it's new to them. Right. Because it's it's just the quality of what we do. Um, but in cities, super important and very exciting news, I think, a couple of years ago, New York made it legalized um, beekeeping. And there is, you have to, um, I actually do consulting and I have one hive that's done super well on West 10th Street. You know, it's like Jennifer Aniston's walking in the street. And, this and, that. and I'm like, you know, with my beekeeping outfit. You know? <laughs> so it's sort of a strange little thing. But it's um, it's so wonderful to to see how far they've come. We got 30 jars of honey in the first year, which is fantastic. And this is city honey. Right. It is so complex in flavor and in the look of it it's dark there's so many flowers if you think like they're almost babied compared to the ones in the country because the country has what what it has the city has hundreds of gardens everywhere you know a lot of water and all that and that's really what you need you want to have a lot of water and source you know and and um uh source to, to flowers or access to flowers um and um in this city, though, you need to register your hive, and then an inspector comes. So an inspector came, took a look at it, you know. So anyway, that that is, is really where the legality comes is in the city, which I was so happy to see, because imagine if everybody just had a beehive. Had a beehive. You know, so. And so that's nice. I think you mentioned, th- so through Catskills provisions, if people are interested, um, they can hire you essentially to come in and consult for them on setting up a hive and the do's and don'ts. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just honestly, as a beekeeper, I, I feel that we all have sort of a, a loyalty to it in, in having it be done the, the best way possible. Um, so please don't hesitate to shoot me an email, um, call me and, and, you know, just to talk about it, you know, cause I, I'm, I would love it for more people to do it and have it be a positive experience and, you know, have the fabulous outcome of great honey. Great honey. So we're going to head to a break and bring Adam on in one second. But before we do, I just want to touch, cause it's a, a theme that's been coming a lot up a lot on the show as about gender um so i'm just wondering the role of male females in in the beekeeping world i mean obviously there's the queen who's you know the oh, queen in bee the hive. but in the hive yeah is are all the other bees males or are there's males and females or well, there erin <laughs> this is where it's it gets a little some people would think it's like perfect. Some people would think, oh my God, it's so cruel. You know, it's so what ends up happening is that there's one queen and worker bees. All the worker bees are female. Oh. The queen has attendants, as a queen should, yes. that take care of feeding her, cleaning after her, blah, 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 so she needs to worry about nothing but um, laying eggs. And then there are drones, the males. Okay. The males are twice the size, and all they basically do is eat. And look for queens to mate with outside of their, of the hive they live in. Okay. So they are just flying around all day. They come and they get fat and happy. They eat. That's basically what they do. They're there to just mate. Mate. So what happens is that they eat, obviously, a lot more. They're twice the size. They're not working. They're not doing anything. And they make a big mess because their bodies are so much bigger. Okay. So... The girls decided, all the workers, that at the end of the season, when the mating thing is over, they decide to just kick them out. And since they don't know how to feed themselves, the boys, uh-huh. the drones don't know how to feed themselves. They go to the hive for food. They starve right outside of the hive. Usually you have, you know, a bunch of like these larger bees 
dying off. It is so weird and sad almost, you know? So it's very cruel, but at the same time, imagine feeding them through the winter. No, sure. We couldn't do it, you know? And it's like... like most aspects of the male role on farms it's kind of limited so all right well we're gonna take a quick break and we'll come back with adam and talk a little bit more about uh his work through catskill provisions We are back. You're listening to The Farm Report on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks, and we are in studio with Claire Marin of Catskill Provisions and then on the line uh, with Adam Deal of Deal's Maple Farm. Um, Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, Adam, you are a maple syrup producer up in the Catskill regions. So that's correct, right? Yes. Yep. And also, a, you know, milk 60 cow dairy farm. Oh, as a side project, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, kind of a crazy time for maple syrup. You know, February is usually the big tapping month, and we've had so much crazy weather. I'd love to hear a little bit about how that's impacting your your schedule. Uh, It's so hard to predict the weather every year, so you pretty much just play it by ear and, you know, take the shot and go for it. we always say we'll tell you in April how we did. How we did. <laughs> so how is your day kind of different if, you know, yesterday it was like 60 and, and you know, last week it was 35, 40? Do you, does your day look different when the temperature is so varied? Uh, when the, for the maple syrup, it really makes a big difference because, you know, it's too warm up in the 50s. You're, the ideal temperature is 40 degrees during the day and 20 degrees at nighttime. And, you know, it's just. I don't know what it's going to be like next couple of weeks. We might get a good cold snap come through here yet, and that's what we hope for anyway. <laughs> so do the trees actually produce less sap when it's warmer, or are there other things that make it challenging to collect on those warmer days? Uh, it depends on the, you know, like the water in the ground helps a lot. So we had plenty of that last year for to uh, produce the starches and the roots and help with the sugar in the trees. And so... I hope it's a good year anyway. But do you, I mean, you notice like on a, uh, like when you go out to collect, like today, for example, I mean, do you notice like a volume difference from day to day? Uh, we, we, we haven't tapped yet this year. Oh, okay. So you're, we're, we're, you know, we're out in the woods getting lines ready right now and 
we're playing the weather here, just keeping an eye on it. And probably next week I'd probably go out and start tapping. And how do you know, like, when it's time to start tapping? Yeah, just trying to watch, the, like, the 10-day forecast and the weather channel, watch the jet stream, see what it's doing and how it's moving. And it's just a gamble. Yeah, then you just so. go for it. Yep. Hope for the best. <laughs> sure. Well, and what's the risk? I mean, if you were to tap too too early or too late, I mean, what? what? With the, all the new technology they have out today with the tubing and taps and sealing the t- trees up good and not letting any of the bacteria come back into the tree earlier isn't hurting them as much anymore as it used to. And I have, I've had, um, you know, maple syrup producers uh, from Maple Land Farm, David Campbell, on the show before, and we talked a little bit about some of that new technology you mentioned. Now, I know he does, uh, like, vacuum tubing. Are you guys using that? Yes, yep. And that's pretty much the industry standard. Yeah, it's going to be a big thing now because of, you know, energy costs and stuff like that and the price of tubing when you can get almost double the amount of sap out of a tree, you know, on vacuum compared to a gravity fed, it, it helps a lot. And vacuum is essentially like it sounds, it, it, it's a light kind of sucking motion that helps like pull the sap yeah, out? it helps pull it from the tree and, you know, don't, don't hurt the tree at all. Of course, I mean, because if it hurts the tree, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot for next yep. year. So what about um, what about some of that equipment, like the the taps and the and the tubing? I mean, are those investments that you have to make uh, every year, or or how often um, do do you look to purchase that kind of equipment? And how quick is like the technology changing? Oh, uh, every every year the technology is changing. They're coming out with new stuff every year, trying to make things produce you know sap production better and cooking less time cooking and all that kind of stuff, but. The tubing usually good ten fifteen years. You probably have to replace it. Uh, taps. I use a, what they call a check valve. It has a little ball in the adapter, and then as soon as the vacuum shuts off, and believe it or not, your trees would pull sap back in from the tubing into the tree again. So that's where a lot of the holes get contaminated from is the little bit of bacteria in the sap lines going back into the tree, and that causes the tree to stop slow down running for sap so these little balls in there close the tap off so the sap can't get back into the tree and it helped a lot the trees will run a lot longer and throughout the season they run pretty steady right till the end sure and i i'm assuming that kind of the cleaner you can keep your lines the the more kind of i don't i wouldn't maybe pure is not the right word but you know the less things that are going to impart any other type of flavor to your final final product essentially yeah, yeah. Now, in your operation, do you um, do you rent trees, or, and um, or or do you own all the trees that you're tapping? And how kind of spread out are the locations that you're tapping? Uh, we pretty much I own all my trees. Well, that's on our land. We have a de- like I said, a dairy cow, cow farm, and we have between the two farms that we have is three hundred acres, and so we got plenty of woods in between that we got there. And, so everything's kind of in, and and so then I do. You, but as far as kind of, are the three hundred acres like all connected, and you're able to, or are well, you kind we, of driving all we around? We do have to travel like two, three, four miles to get to the few locations where I have the holding tanks, and we pump it out into the pickup truck and bring it back up to the farm here. That's where it gets cooked. 
And can you tell us a little bit about the cooking process? Um, what kind of heat source are you guys using? Uh, we use all firewood, and I bought a, a new evaporator here about five years ago. It cooks off, boils off about 230 gallons of water an hour. And this, our, my old one I had was the same size, and that one was only boiling off 85, 90 gallons an hour. So oh, wow. New technology they, like I said, came out with, with the new pans Heating surfaces on the pans just made it unbelievably a whole lot better and efficient. Yeah, that's nice. I mean, and are you guys using the reverse osmosis machine as well? or uh, Not yet. I'm in the process of maybe getting one this year if everything turns out okay. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, wait and see, right? Yeah. So um, I would love to talk a little bit about how you and Claire got connected and, and kind of how that relationship um, is is working for you and kind of what, uh, a little bit about the syrup that you're producing for Catskill Provisions. Okay. So maybe, I don't know, Claire, if you want to jump yeah, in. Yeah, I'll take that a little bit. Um, hi, Adam. Hi, Claire. Uh, um, so um, it, in my quest to figure out how to, do maple syrup and to get into it really and it came from um, my bees uh, pollinating maple trees in the area where where the apiary is um, there are major maple notes in our fall honey so I thought I don't know there, there's got to be something to this you know so I started looking around at like the best maple best maple and I of course wanted to work with a very very local farmer in that I couldn't make the investment and in, you know that that hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in equipment and all that. And so I came to Adam um, and basically tasted the this, this syrup that they they make there that is really superior to anything that I tasted. And then he helped me come together, uh, put together really a... Um, a uh, a blend that is uh, exclusive to Casco Provisions, and it's absolutely amazing and and delicious. And you you really everybody should try it because it's it's really wonderful. But he's been wonderful to work with, and of course I love um, you know benefiting a super hardworking uh, third generation Adam farmer. Yeah. Uh, fourth. Fourth, fourth generation yeah. farmer from Sullivan County. I mean, the, you know, the, the, they they just don't make them like this anymore. <laughs> so, uh, and Adam talk about that talk about that all the time. You know, <laughs> it's like two old people talking. You know, but um, <laughs> anyway, so um, just super impressed with what he does and how he does it and uh, his production. But I think such an interesting partnership too, because both of the products are are such a really raw reflection of the place where they're produced. Because essentially, the trees are a reflection of the land they're grown on, and then the bees similarly of like the the flora and you know in the in the surrounding area um adam i i know that as a as a dairy farmer your your days are pretty busy so what is it that you love about about maple syruping that makes you kind of take on that not small project every year like thing with me i guess is just look around outside and see what you have with all the land and you know just being outside is i enjoy it and you know, if it takes maple syrup to have to help keep the property here with taxes and stuff, that's what it's going to have to be. And, you know, just once when a piece goes, you never get it back. So, Right. So so you mean essentially like maple syrup allows for another income source for your yeah. farm? Yes. And where were you selling the syrup before you and Claire got connected? Uh, mainly I got one little uh, supermarket down in town here I, that I deal with them and... 
The rest of it's right here on the farm. We got the Villa Roma only about half a mile from us at the big resort. And a lot of people stop there on the weekends, stop in, and I got signs out by the road, and they pull up and buy a lot of the maple syrup. Awesome. Well, Adam, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, yeah. It was great. It was great hearing a little bit about what's going on in maple syrup land. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Claire, I was hoping that you could give us a, a little taste of where we can find um, some of your honey and some of Adam's syrup. Yeah. Um, you can find both the honeys and maple syrups at various restaurants um, in the city. You can taste them. I would definitely recommend that you go to our website, um, Catskill Provisions. Dot com And my email is there. You could uh, shoot me an email. My cell phone number is on there, too. You could call me. Um, but uh, we do list all the other retail uh, stops, too, uh, where you can get them, including Dean and DeLuca. And um, we're on Guild Taste. Also, guildtaste.com does these little combinations. Um, but you can buy directly from, from me on, on the website. Um, but the retailers, too, allow you to just buy, you know, uh, a, a small taster or something like that. Lucy's Way. We're also at Grab in Brooklyn and uh, Stinky uh, Brooklyn as well. Um, and uh, mostly in the city, though, you know, but the restaurants is sort of, you know, a good way for you to, you know, taste it. Yeah, and also just kind of start that conversation. Claire, thanks so much for being on the show today. We have a yet another guest that we'll be bringing on uh, right after the break. Again, you're listening to a jam-packed session of the Farm Report. Uh, we are on the line with Lori Tenick of American Farmland Trust to talk about the No Farms, No Food rally coming up on February 15th. Lori, welcome. Hi, Erin. Thanks. It's great to have you on. So I just wanted to um, get a chance to, to hear a little bit about what uh, is on the agenda for the rally and what are some of the top 10, you know, well, maybe not all top 10, but uh, what are some of the top issues that you guys are going to be talking about, and how can some of our New York City listeners uh, get involved? Okay, great. Um, well, we're planning, this will be our third annual No Farms, No Food rally at the State Capitol in Albany. Um, it's scheduled for Wednesday, February 15th. And um, basically the concept is it's, a, it's an all-day event. We have 
a lot of different types of people attending. Um, the, the point of the rally is to raise a visibility for agriculture um, amongst the New York State legislators, many of whom are from downstate and do not have an agricultural background or an understanding of farming at all. And so we have a variety of farmers ranging from, you know, western New York dairy farmers to small Hudson Valley organic farmers. Uh, we have people involved from all aspects of the, the food movement, local foods advocates, um, people who are working on getting fresh, nutritious local foods to the underserved people in urban areas. Uh, we have environmentalists who are concerned about water quality and land conservation and um, a broad range of, of people gathering for this event. And um, basically, what we do is we divide all of the participants into lobby teams, which uh, we try to make as diverse as possible. So a lobby team may contain a farmer's market manager from New York City Green Markets, um, a dairy farmer, a New York City watershed water quality person, um, you know, somebody from, a, from an urban um, food pantry. And we set up meetings for the lobby teams with the legislators so that your, your lobby team will go to individual legislators and talk to them about the issues that we're concerned about at the rally. And um, we do have a bus coming up from New York City, and that's going to leave um, the city at 7 a.m. from the corner of Union Square West and 16th Street. And um, it returns from, leaves Albany and returns around 7 uh, to the city. So that's an option for people who want to participate who don't want to drive up. Um, basically, some of the big issues that we are, we're, we're rallying for is, um, well, of course, farmland conservation, saving farms from suburban sprawl is, is a major issue, a major concern of American Farmland Trust. Um, we're also interested in um, increasing farm profitability because if farms can stay profitable and viable, whether it's an organic CSA or whether it's a larger dairy farm, um, then we don't have to worry about losing the farmland to um, a housing development because the farm is profitable and it's going to keep farming. So that's another thing that we're really in support of. Um, so we'll be advocating for funding um, for the state's farmland protection program as well as a number of programs that promote farm profitability and um, also some programs that promote having state money, institutional money um, spent on locally grown foods to feed um, people who need food, who are underserved, under, who are not getting the food that they need, instead of getting them, um, you know, food from God knows where, buying bulk somewhere else. We want to spend our own state money with our own farmers to feed our own people. So those, that's in a, a broad brush some of the things that we're going to be talking about. That's awesome. Um, I, I noticed a couple of Brooklyn names on your speaker agenda. Anthony Butler, the executive director of St. John's Bread and Life Program, and yeah. Je Jessica Applestone of Fleischer's Grass-Fed Organic Meats. I think they just opened up a shop over in Park Slope. So it's great to see um, that, you know, even though we're talking about farms, there's some real urban representatives on your speaker list. And I wonder if you could just comment a little bit on why it's important to have the voice of, of urban residents um, represented at the rally. Well, um, well, for one thing, um, you know, the 
the farmers and the rural residents are producing the food, and actually a lot of the urban people are producing some of their own food now too. Um, but it's the consumers of food who that we really that have the biggest voice um, in state government. So when we want to make ourselves heard, we need the consumers of food to speak and speak loudly. And of course, the consumers of food are concentrated. Um, in New York City. Uh, we have such a huge city in New York State, and so when we can get those people to talk, they're really loud, and people sit up and listen, and um, they start thinking about agriculture, where normally agriculture gets um, pushed aside. If, if the legislators see that the people of New York City are interested in agriculture, they're going to sit up and listen and, and care about the agricultural issues more than they probably have been in the past. And one of the things, you know, having been lucky enough to attend the rally in in past years that I thought was so exciting is you literally are sitting across the table from representatives, you know, from all counties and all areas of the state. So as as New York City residents, we can go and meet our own assembly people and just, I think, let them know face to face that these are issues we care about. Um, Just to kind of sum up with a couple of details, how much does the bus cost um, yeah, well, this is the first year that we're charging for the bus, and we really, ha- just because of financial circumstances, have no choice but to ask the participants to kick in some money. Um, so the bus is, uh, the round-trip fare is $10, and um, there, there's also a $10 fee for um, registering for the rally, which includes uh, the local foods lunch that we will be providing. Um, so that's, if you're coming from New York City and you're taking the bus, it's $20, if you're coming on your own under your own power, it's ten dollars, and that includes lunch. And I should say, on the bus, um, refreshments will be offered, and the bus does have Wi-Fi, so you'll be able to eat and work and be productive and content while you are traveling. So yeah, and you, for twenty bucks, you have a full day of advocacy work under your belt, uh, less than the cost of two delicious cocktails. Um, (laughs) Where can people sign up if they want to save a spot on the bus or they want to make the trip up to Albany under their own accord? Okay, well the registration is online. It's at www.farmland backslash New York and you will see uh, right at the top of our page uh, where you click to register. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on to share uh, a little bit about the rally. I definitely uh, highly encourage people to check it out. It's Wednesday, February 15th. I think the aptly titled No Farms, No Food. Lori, thanks for coming on. And tune in next week for another great episode of The Farm Report. Absolutely. Thanks, Erin. Thank you. Bye-bye. to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.